0: Hey there, and welcome to the Oxano Podcast. Oxano is a worship service for college students and young adults that takes place weekly during the school year at Dawson Family of Faith. If you're ever in Birmingham, Alabama on a Tuesday night, we hope you'll join us as we worship through song, prayer, and the Word. Thanks for listening. Tonight, we are going to be continuing our series in the woes to the Pharisees. And tonight is gonna to be on the weightier matters of the law. And so uh, we'll be in Matthew chapter 23. Um, as, as we've already read tonight, the, the, the theme of the woes to the Pharisees that, that, that Cole has preached the first two weeks, Cole Fryer uh, will be preaching next week, um, is, is woes rebuilding religion. And so in in ushering in his kingdom, Jesus came and and taught this radical new way where um, he is completely dismantling the religion of the Pharisees, um, the the religious leaders of the day, because uh, they they built religion on this feeble foundation, this this completely uh, foundationless uh, religion of the Pharisees. And, And Jesus wanted to demonstrate that he is the true cornerstone of the eternal house that he was and is to this day, building up. And for us to get some context into what Jesus is saying in Matthew 23, we look back a, a chapter before in Matthew chapter 22, it says that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees and so the Pharisees all grouped together and they sent this Pharisee lawyer into the ring with Jesus and it says that, that he quizzed Jesus by asking him, what is the greatest command? What is the command that is of central importance? Because these guys were all about following the rules, and these guys were all about, as Cole taught us a couple of weeks ago, about building barriers around the law so that they wouldn't even get close to violating it. Right. So they added to uh, all the things in the Torah. Right. That uh, instructions from God on on how to live in a way that's consistent with His design. But they. But they heaped these burdens on people and they made following God um, completely toilsome and burdensome, right? And so they're, they're asking him, what is the greatest command? And, and Jesus responded with a twofold but intertwined command. He says, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. He says, the whole law and prophets hang on to these commands, right? Cole taught us about how Jesus leads us in the way of simplicity last week. Right? And so Jesus really simplifies what it means to live in communion with God. And that is to love him and to love his prized creation, which is his image bearers, which we would call our neighbors. Right? And so the fourth woe, Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and you have neglected or dropped the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you, ought not have to done, these you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. So our first point tonight is that distorted religion obsesses over trivialities at the expense of the big ideas. So what, what Jesus is talking about of how the, the great commandment uh, is what the law and the prophets, all this, the sum of all the teaching of the Old Testament hangs on this idea of loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. But the Pharisees have it twisted. They have it completely flipped upside down. And when he uses this word neglected, um, we, we, we get dropped uh, is, is, a, is another um, kind of root uh, of that word. And so, and so um, this, this, how the, the law is hanging on is completely dropped by how the, the Pharisees have completely distorted it. And so uh, I wanted to show you guys this picture. This is uh, my backyard here. Um, this is my wife's herb garden. And uh, if you kind of look in that planter box on the far side, don't look at all the weeds in the back. I need to take care of those. But, um, and then our kale right there, it got completely wiped by aphids this year. So um, you guys, when you turn 30, you start worrying about things like aphids, you know. Like right now you're like worried about how's my hair looking or like, you know, like when you get to 30, it's like, man, are the aphids going to eat up my kale in my garden, you know? <laughs> um, but you see that kind of like that sort of bushy one, that, that one right there is dill and then right to the right of it is mint, right? Now if I were um, just wanted to like be like the Pharisees and, and, and make this uh, kind of just a real tangible example for you guys, I would go and, and pick out like a tenth. And measure out what a tenth of my uh, my dill and uh, my my uh, I don't have any cumin, but my mint, right? And so I, obviously, with the ninety percent that I kept for myself, I'd invite Cole Fryer over, and he would make an incredible tzatziki sauce out of it, right? But with that other ten percent, I would bring it here as an offering, right? And and it's this, um, you know, they they're going way above and beyond to uh, show everyone how religious they are and how committed they are to God because all of their things they're tithing on, right? And uh, we've got Chris Harton sitting in the back. He teaches an incredible lesson to our DYP folks in the room who know about finance, right? Um, On the importance of tithing. Tithing is is an important spiritual discipline, right? Um, But but it says that God loves a cheerful giver, right? That, That we give out of the abundance and the overflow of our heart. We don't do it so that we can check this religious performance box, right? But, but that's exactly what they are doing. And, and, and tithing, just as a whole, is this hyper-measured discipline, could be spiritual prudence, right? If we're, if we're giving the Pharisees the benefit of the doubt, but often it's either tied to extreme anxiousness in, in the belief that all that we have is God, right? Is God's, we, we wanna acknowledge that, right? That, that nothing truly belongs to us, but we've been entrusted to be stewards of it. But if we have this anxiousness about it, um, you know that that's not a, a good thing, or doesn't reflect good things about our relationship with God, right? Because we know there's no condemnation in Christ. But in other cases, uh, it, it could be tied to prosperity preaching, right? It's like this provocation of God, of like, well, if I'm faithful in my tithing and giving, then God is going to bless me uh, tenfold, right? You'll 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 hear prosperity teachers on TV that say, you know, give sow this this uh, this blessing, right? Give give this amount, and then God's going to bless you tenfold. Right? And so it's like, almost like we have God in our pocket, right? It's like what, what Cole shared a couple weeks ago. And so this too is a distortion, right? And, and if God gives us blessing with wealth, then, then consequently we have more freedom and more power. Or maybe others will look at us as successful or faithful or both and becomes this complete religious show, right? And that is the, that's the game that the Pharisees are playing. They love that game. They are, like, if you're at the Catan table with them, man, they are, like, hoarding up, like, all the wheat and the ore, like, at, at that game, right? They're not a whole lot of fun to play with. And, and the other piece of this is, is because the Pharisees and many people of our day, they, they make it no secret how generous or how faithful they are with their possessions, right? And, and they either do that to justify having a lot, what we would call excess, or they spiritualize their suffering of having very little, and that's why Jesus teaches us, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing, right, that, that we give in you know, anonymity, right, that, that we, we do this as an expression of worship to God and as a commitment to our local body. We, we don't do this because we are trying to uh, create this fanfare around how faithful we are. And so, as I've talked about, through these woes, Jesus is rejecting the Pharisees' commodification quantification and gamification of the religious system of Israel. All right, write these words down if you need to Google them later, right? But essentially, Jesus is tearing down the spiritual one-upmanship, the petty politics, manipulation, and distortion of the Pharisees. And if we're a student of church history, we see that this has been a struggle through the ages, right? That um, throughout time periods in church history, we, we use this language around reformation because um, we, we see where the church has gone adrift, right, that, that whether it's leadership or they're, they're falling to the tides of the day, right, that the church compromises its witness because um, we've created a game out of following God. Right? or we've, um, we've, we've made it about having and accumulating as much wealth as we can, or um, a, about being this spiritual contest, right? And that's not at all like anything that, that honors God, right? Actually, the word Jesus used in this passage is hypocrites. And that's an accusation that's not foreign to us in uh, the secularizing context that we live in today. A lot of people um, that, that you know that aren't believers just say, oh, I just think a lot of Christians are hypocrites. I don't don't go to church because the things that you say that you believe, you don't live out. Right? Have you you heard that accusation before? Right? That that the skeptic of our day would say that we are hypocrites. Jesus calls them blind guides, that they're self-deceived and they're leading others willfully into darkness. Right? And so churches can unfortunately be Pharisee factories, as we've talked about, because one, they can major on minor things and minor on major things and neglecting the weightier matters. So they elevate non-essential matters to essential status and vice versa, right? And if you're wondering like, what are essential matters? Uh, a really helpful guide on our website is called our Doctrinal Foundation. Uh, check that out. These are, like, these are the, the, the matters that we deem uh, essential to the Christian faith. Right? These are the things that like, we're going to build a foundation on, the things that we're assured of in our biblical convictions. Right? But with everything else, we try to be charitable with other believers and brothers and sisters in Christ who believe differently. They might not worship with us. Right? And so we, we want to have this spirit of charitability in the non-essential matters. Right? But, but churches can really get adrift when we start totalizing everything into this very narrow interpretation. Right? And that is a game of the Pharisees that we still uh, see in play today. An example of this, too, is, is how we might teach a behavior modification Christianity, right? that we get the cart before the horse, if you guys understand what that expression means. What I, what I mean is that our, our conduct and our character as believers in the world, it matters. But we're, we're not just trying to usher and control people into moral conformity. Our, our goal for you as a follower and disciple of Jesus Christ is, is not to make it all about these externalities of saying, well, Christians do these things and these things and these things and Christians don't do these things, these things and these things, right? What we wanna primarily see is you to have an experience with the risen Christ, right? To, to know God by the power of his Holy Spirit and be transformed by that, right? To have a heart knowledge of who Jesus is and then walk in that. And then the conduct and the character, guess what? It's gonna take care of itself, right? But these Pharisees, they're trying to climb up these rungs of worthiness by their external appearance, but their hearts are far from God. And newsflash, your works and the things that you do and your, your worthiness will never be worthy before God. We are desperately in need of the advocacy of Christ. Jesus explains this to this Pharisee so, so eloquently in John chapter 3. You guys have probably heard this story before, but there's a Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus, and he approaches Jesus at night because he doesn't want to know, anyone to know, his colleagues to know, that he is talking with Jesus. And he says, you, you must be from God if you are doing the things that you are doing. Right? That, that you must be someone who is sent by God. And Jesus says, truly, I say to you, because I think that, that Jesus is trying to, he's, he knows where Nicodemus is going with this and he, he heads it off right there. And he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless someone is born again, he will not see the kingdom of God. What he's saying is you, you, have, to, you have to empty yourself. You have to get to a place of spiritual bankruptcy, right? And, and acknowledge your complete dependence on God And the Holy Spirit will come and take up residence in you and you will begin to walk and live as a new creation. This is what our our big church word that we call regeneration, right? Of like when when we meet God and we begin to walk with him, right? And all of a sudden the the things of God start to become uh, things that we crave and desire, right? That, That God comes and gives us a complete overhaul of our identity and our heart's desires, And then we begin to walk and demonstrate the fruits that are keeping with repentance in our life. And so we can't get those things backwards. And so that is the first way that we see how the church can be a Pharisee factory. The second is by reinforcing behaviors and partisanship that betray the great commandment. So we talked about what the great commandment is to love God, love your neighbor as yourself, right? If you get so dogmatic and this is how church should be and this is how Christians should live, that you begin to communicate that in an unloving way to your neighbor, you've, you've completely undermined your identification as a believer in Christ. Right? You've completely um, made yourself into a hypocrite. And from a leadership standpoint, if, if we are calling for and asking people to buy into this unchallenged groupthink, as the, the, the word partisanship means, right? That, that we call people to our social movements or our political party instead of allegiance to Jesus and his eternal kingdom, then, then we are creating a, a Pharisee out of you, right? And out of ourselves. And it's, it's not only what we say, but how we say it. Right? Are, are we speaking the truth in love? Right? We'll, we'll, we'll talk about later what it, what it means to hold our convictions with compassion towards other people. But we, the last thing that we want to do here is reinforce behaviors and partisanship that betray the great commandment. We want to hang on to the great commandment of loving God and loving our neighbor as ourselves. The last thing that we can do is feed a superstar dynamic for our staff or influential members. Right? that um, there, there's a, a ministry philosophy out there of like influence the influencers, right? I know that word comes with a whole lot of different connotations now with social media age that we live in. But, you know, if this idea, if I can, if I can reach the, um, the, the sharpest and the best and the brightest and like everyone will follow after them and we'll build this crowd or this following, right? That, that, doesn't, that doesn't sound like the way of Jesus to me. I don't know if, if that does to y'all either, right? That, that we don't want to create a cult of personality um, that, or, or power or um, unattainable and unapproachable hyper-spirituality, right? That, that someone here is the guru, right? That like we are all sitting under the teaching of God's word and we're all accountable to God's word, right? That in, in partnership with God's spirit, that, that you have access to God through his word, right? That, that you can, can go home and, and you can examine and, and study the things that I'm saying, right? And test them against the scripture, right? Paul says that there's this group in, in Acts, they're called the Bereans. He says they were more noble than all the other Jews because they would go to the scriptures to see if the things that he was saying were true, Right? And so praise God for good preaching and praise God for great communicators like our pastor, but praise God for his humility too. Praise God for his ability and and, and, uh, accountability to the word of God. And for anyone that would take up the mantle of Christian leadership, that, that we are accountable and we sit under the word of God. And as Cole established in week one, we have this hierarchy smashing equality in Christ Right, That we can call each other brother and sister as we mutually submit to his lordship. So the Pharisees and the crowd alike, they, they have this elevated fear of man. And what I'll tell you guys tonight, that fear of man always crowds out fear of and love for God. And we're more worried about what other people are going to think. We're more worried about what other people could do to us and, and less worried about and concerned with the things of God, right? That, that we have this ultimate accountability to him, right? That, that we want to be walking in a way in which we want to and we aim to please God rather than man. And so with that, we'll define the weightier matters of the law, which is justice and mercy and faithfulness. This is an echo of the prophet Micah. In Micah 6, 8, uh, he is um, prophesying against the nation of Israel for their economic injustices that they're committing against people and, and, and making it hard for people to get by. He says, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. See, I don't think that the Pharisees would outright object to the prophet's requirement. Right, that the problem that Jesus is pointing out is the degree of care that they show to garden herbs while maintaining a blatant disregard for their neighbor. Right, that, that the poor, the afflicted, the weak, and the lost are completely invisible to them while they're consumed with these really trivial matters. But our neighbor is, is God's prized creation dignified as his image bearer and someone that Jesus laid down his life for so that they could experience communion with God. So this is why Jesus gives us this great commandment. His great commandment is represented in the weightier matters. The first would be the love for neighbor. And these are the things that we are majoring on, right? Justice. The Greek word in this passage, it describes doing or enacting justice more than just loving justice as an ideal, right? As we, I mentioned earlier, we, we live in the social media age, right, that, that there is a, uh, a, a way in which we can um, promote ideas and, and join in on movements with just a couple clicks that, that lend itself to this kind of cheap posturing, Right, of like, oh, I I did my part about this cause because I shared this post, right? That's not the type of advocacy for justice that this passage is talking about. It's talking about showing and then telling, right? Demonstrating, doing and acting justice, right? Just like I, you know, showed you guys the the video of the power team and didn't just tell you about it. It would have been really hard to tell you guys about that, right, of like, there's these guys, they're like, you know, Hulk Hogan meets Billy Graham, but they wear Rex Kondo pants. Um, and, and so, um, you know, you guys getting the visual, you got the full effect of it, right? And so for, for us to do justice, we have to proactively work to protecting the weak and the vulnerable in our midst. With the, with the belief that we are reflecting God's justice on earth as it is in heaven, or in Jesus' words, what you did for the least of these, you did for me. The next way that we demonstrate love for our neighbor is, as Jesus outlines in this passage is, is connected, is, is mercy, it is generosity and compassionate acts toward the poor. But, but also it, it means kindness and understanding for difficult people in our life. Do you guys all have really easy people to love in your life? Yeah, I'm seeing some head nods. Yes. Wow. Okay. All right. Well, I promise you, like, hang in there long enough, and you will come across some people that are really difficult to love, right? Um, get into the work world um, where you're not choosing your friends. Um, you know, uh, you can uh, you know, develop friendships with people who, you know, the the um, tides and the experiences of life like really change them and. Um, man, you have this like really nasty falling out with someone that you've been a friend to a long time, trust me, you will have opportunities to love people that are difficult to love. And so do we demonstrate the mercy of God? See, God's mercy and his patience with his people is described as long-suffering, loving kindness for his people, And so as recipients of that mercy, right? When we we reach this place that like Jesus is talking about with Nicodemus, where we are born again, it's where we we have this understanding of the mercy of God, right? that, That we see the mercy that is available to us in Christ, who's completely advocated on our behalf. So we like to resource you guys with uh, some some great resources at our bookstall. Tonight, I wanted to draw your attention to a new book uh, that you guys can grab for five bucks. Um, This book is called Compassion and Conviction. Uh, It's written by a guy named Justin Giboney, and he is a pastor, uh, also heads up an organization called the And Campaign. Um, I, you know, uh, in the way of uh, just kind of living through uh, the, the really, Um, toxic political times that that we have lived through. Um, This has been a, just a balm, a resource uh, that they speak with utmost biblical clarity on matters of justice and mercy and how they enact them. Uh, They're they're not gonna uh, espouse a political party, right? They're gonna maintain like, Hey, our ultimate allegiance is to scripture and being faithful to God's command to love justice and to love mercy. And to be faithful in applying that. Um, but if you if you guys aren't interested in reading a book, you can check out their uh, social media page, the End Campaign, as they uh, speak into issues as they happen. Um, and so I, I've just found it to be uh, a really great resource, um, and and some and folks who um, you know really uh, you know, they they don't look at things uncritically, right? But they also bring it into terms that's easy for someone like me to understand. Right? And so I um, highly recommend this resource. Uh, as you are thinking about, okay, what does it mean for me uh, to, to advocate for and to enact justice? Uh, I would say uh, check out the compassion and conviction um, as they present these two things as, as um, you know, the tension, right, of like we want to demonstrate compassion and mercy and love and, and remain true to our biblical convictions. So a really great resource I recommend. Um, then uh, the, the next part of the great commandment that's represented and echoed in Micah 6.8 that Jesus quotes here is love for God. Faithfulness is the word that we see there. Um, and, and really, the, kind of a better translation of that word would be like real faith, right? That uh, Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, a reliance and dependence on the person and work of Jesus that we live spiritually as born-again humans. Jesus says, These things you ought to have done, referring to the tithing of the mint and the dill and the cumin, without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. So that expression uh, is an idiom uh, from, from the, the day and age of uh, the ancient Near East and probably is really lost on us, Right? Um, but these words are really similar to each other in the Aramaic, right? So uh, I would say it's, it's kind of like Jesus' diss track toward the Pharisees or like a political cartoon, right? Um, if I were to like relay it to you guys in like maybe some modern language, it would be like, um, yeah, you uh, keep the speed limit in intentionally running over your neighbor, right? Of like, you, you follow this like really, um, you know, small part of the law that all of us had probably disobeyed on our way here, right? And you commit one of the most egregious acts uh, or sins of the law, right? And so um, he, he's showing and demonstrating their dissonance. Um, also in that illustration, I would say, you know, guys, keep it slow out here at this crosswalk. You know, I've, I've almost been hit a couple times, like going over to the fellowship hall. So just, just keep that in mind, Yeah. You know. So uh, we we come back to this guy Nicodemus, right? That we met in John chapter three. We we see Nicodemus again in John chapter nineteen. And and what I love about how we've walked through these woes to the Pharisees, and I think I shared this with you guys a couple of weeks ago about, um, you know, I I think like I'm just ready to for Jesus to just like own the Pharisees, just like just slam them, you know. Um, and, and, and completely silence them and put them to shame, right? But in these rebukes that Jesus has for the, the Pharisees, he's also extending grace to them, right? That, that they too can walk away from the shackles that they've created for themselves in this world. And Nicodemus is one of these people that is a story that gives us hope for the Pharisees. Because in John chapter 19, we read after Jesus's crucifixion, He's one of the only two people who go to collect Jesus' body. He and a guy named Joseph of Arimathea. And Joseph uh, gives his tomb, and he's the one who asks Pilate for permission for Jesus' body. Then enter Nicodemus. It says that he brings 75 pounds of spices and aloes to treat Jesus' body. This is an amount that is, is not just excessive, this is an amount that is fit for a king's burial, right? The, 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 the son of God who is just crucified between two criminals, someone who would have, whose body would have been left on the cross to be picked at by birds, Nicodemus comes and he treats his body with 75 pounds of spices and oils, right? It's this remarkable story of of someone who's who's not tithing their possessions. is someone who is bringing this extravagant gift and display of love for Jesus. He's showing where his treasure is. That whether he knows it at the time or not, I I would venture to say that he doesn't, he makes his last gesture of love for Jesus before the dawn of new creation, right? Nicodemus is there as the tomb is being rolled up, not knowing the new creation that is going to start when Jesus rises from that grave on Sunday. Amen? He gives out of an abundance of his heart. He has a heart transformation. See, real religion is not piety for the sake of promotion or power, but spiritual transformation and physical renewal that Jesus transforms us spiritually from the inside out. And through his resurrection, he is the just and righteous redeemer of the new creation. We discussed earlier how religion, distorted religion, obsesses over trivialities at the expense of the big ideas. But on the flip side, real religion is built on the biggest idea, and that's the person and work of Jesus Christ. You know, last week, Cole shared with us that he got this paper that was completely drenched in red ink. And um, I would say if you guys want to have that experience, you should use this phrase in a paper, right? But um, it, it's, it's complete fluff, right? But I've, you know, I've used it before in a paper where I say, you cannot overstate the importance of X, Y, Z, right? Professors hate that phrase, they hate that phrase. Right? But, but I, can, I can say there's only one instance in which you can use the phrase cannot overstate the importance of, right? But we cannot overstate the scope of Jesus's transforming and renewing work, right? That this is truly the only thing that you can't oversell, you can't overhype, you can't overpromise. It's, it's the revealing of the Christian hope It's our faith becoming sight. It's the highest ideal, the boldest vision for the future, and nothing less than the chosen and precious cornerstone that God is laying in Zion. Revelation 21.5, Jesus says, Behold, I'm making all things new. All things. So we get to experience this world that Jesus is creating, which we get to commune with God. We get to live in and walk in the newness of life. That is the weightiest matter. That is God's grand and bold vision for the future, for us to walk in. That's what we get to invite others into to experience. So as we transition into this time of 120 seconds, I invite you guys to think about what we've studied tonight in God's word. Are you maybe someone who came in tonight, putting the cart before the horse, right? Are you, are you someone who um, you know, has tried to live all of your life pleasing others in this religious performance without experiencing the true transformation of Jesus? Is following Jesus more about the things that you're against rather than the things that you are for? Right Do you need to be challenged in loving your neighbor, in balancing the, the tension of compassion and conviction? Do you identify with the Pharisees or with the crowd? Have you had a moment like Nicodemus who we read about, who quit holding back and trusted and followed fully after Jesus? Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your word and how it challenges and convicts us. God, in this rebuke that you give to the Pharisees, Father, we see ourselves. Father, that we ought not to neglect the things that we might deem unimportant at times. But I pray, Father, that we would Observe the weightier matters, Father, of of loving you and loving our neighbors as ourselves. Father, that we would put our hope and our trust in the ultimate deliverance that you bring, that we as citizens of your kingdom would boldly and confidently share the gospel with those around us. So God, challenge us tonight out of complacency. Challenge us tonight out of stubbornness. Father, challenge us tonight out of our fears and our anxieties as we seek to be committed followers of you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Oxano Podcast. If you're interested in the songs that we sing, you can find us on Spotify at Oxano Songs We Sing. If you have more questions about what it means to follow Jesus or about next steps in following him, please email us at connect at dawsonchurch.org. We'll see you next week.